I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the mighty of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy greatness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all those that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfieth the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My tongue shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. What we want to do now, and I'm going to ask Brother Brad to pray for us. Uh, I want to open it up for prayer requests and for praise reports. And I'll just, while you think about that, I'm going to request that we have a prayer for Brother Cephas, as he comes home from Haiti today for the funeral of his father in Haiti. And things there have not been good. That's the reason Sister Hannah is with us today, because the danger for her to go there was too great. So she didn't go to her father-in-law's funeral in Haiti. Been a tumultuous time, but the Lord is gracious. And I, I want to share with you one thing that... Uh, Cephas' two brothers told me. Obviously, they could come to the States and live, and live a pretty good life. They are accomplished men. And they said, we believe the Lord has called us to our people, and we will stay. And I just thank you, thank the Lord, that there are people all over the world who are absolutely dedicated to his kingdom, regardless of their personal price. What are your prayer requests this morning? Everything's smooth. I think we should remember to pray for Church back. I know he's pregnant with her Sunday school last week, but Kurt Raleigh's back is bad shape. Yes. Thank you. Kurt Raleigh's back. We'll pray for that. Praise reports.
Dallas Flory and Mary Jo Carpenter both struggling with cancer. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, you mentioned the youth. Yeah. Not only present here, but, but everywhere, especially in these last times. And, uh, yeah, may the Lord give them direction and guidance. Amen. One of the things that really encourages me, and I know it does you, Bart, is the youth are getting the scriptures written on their heart. So hallelujah. Brother Brad.
Psalm 25, and let's stand together and sing the first two verses. <clears throat> um, and we'll repeat it, and the way the song goes is we, we repeat the first verse twice, and then we sing the second verse, and then we repeat it again. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O said. Amen. Amen. This morning, uh, Brother Jerry Priest, Jerry and Heidi from the Chambersburg congregation will have the first message, and then we'll have a hymn. And Brother Mark, Mark and Teresa Andrews from, let's see, are you from Missouri or Kansas? I don't know, but all over. I don't know. They're on the fence. <laughs> on the fence, yeah. And he will have the second message. So, Lord bless you. I would also like to say good morning and welcome to God's house this morning. Those of you that attend here regularly, you know I'm from the south, right? Go to church in Pennsylvania, but from the south. 
This morning we're going to do something a little bit different. As we were eating breakfast, one of the youth came up from downstairs from their bed and they said, I better keep them awake. I won't say names, but... So as I drove to church this morning, I thought, wow, how can I keep the youth awake? Because that's not my strength. We'll put it there. So to do something a little bit different this morning, every time I say Lord, those of you that feel young will say of all, okay? Because the title of my message this morning is Lord of all or not at all. Let's turn to Romans chapter 14. And as you're turning there, what does it mean to you when you hear Lord of all? I'm listening. What was that? Everything. What's everything? Every aspect of our lives. What's aspect? Detail. detail. What's detail? God. What was that? It's God. It's God. See, as Christians, it's so easy for us detail, everything, can't remember them all, but we compartmentalize certain things. And we say it's everything, but it's so easy for us to make Lord here. Romans chapter 14, the first 12 verses. Verse 1, him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he, he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? 
For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We're going to stop reading there. You know, as I asked that question, Lord of all, and your mind started going, did the Holy Spirit take you to a place that you haven't turned over? Because oftentimes I see in my own life, I consider some things to be the Lord's and some things are mine. Another way to say it would be, does Jesus have control of your Sundays, but what about your Monday mornings or Tuesday morning? Or maybe do you submit your time to Christ, but what about your bank account? Are you faithful to Bible study, but when it comes to serving others in love, well, see if we can part compartmentalize our faith then when we say Jesus is Lord does it mean anything or is it just empty words I think it, as Christians we understand this and we have a proper understanding of Jesus is, you know, essential in every part of our life. And we sometimes just pull him back as the spiritual our health, our spiritual health. And we say he's Lord right there. Paul teaches us here in Romans that there's three vital relationships with the Lordship of Christ. I only picked three. There might be more. But the first one I see is in verses 7 to 9. And that is our relationship to our Heavenly Father. And until we as Christians make Jesus Lord, is our relationship correct? Is it correct when he's not over all of our life? Can we find a more vivid contrast between the Christian and non-Christian than in this description here in verses 7 to 9? It says, for none of us liveth to himself. 
We understand that, right? We don't live to ourselves. We live to please our Heavenly Father, right? Or maybe I should ask you, what are you living for? I can't answer that for you. I can answer that for me. Where am I the most content, the most happy, the most excited about? Because that's what I'm living for. A lot of the time. I know there's some exceptions. But we have to be careful. And look at our desires and ambitions in life. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, the first two verses says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Have we conquered them verses? Do you live to the flesh? Or do you seek to do the will of your Heavenly Father? So I would ask you a question. If Christ is Lord, is anything outside of his dominion? It's not a trick question. If he truly is your Savior, your Lord of all, is anything in your life not available to him to oversee? See, we can't have Christ as our Savior and then later decide to let him be Lord. It's not a two-stage installment plan. Is it? When we ask him into our heart as our, our Savior, he needs to be Lord of all of our life. And why should he be? Because he is Lord. He's the only one that has authority over heaven and earth, right? Sometimes I wish I had authority. Don't And neither do you. But he has the authority. Seated at his father's side. But see, the opposite or the extended part of that is that he does give us his Holy Spirit to enable us with power. 
So even though we might not have the authority the same as he has, we still have power through his Holy Spirit. To help us throughout our lives. The second relationship that I see, if we back up to verses 2 through 6 here in Romans chapter 14. I'm not going to read them again, but I'll just say that as we read, as we read those verses, the first thing that came to my mind as I was studying for this was we like to pick at each other, right? And maybe it would be just as simple as John Deere or International, right? We like to pick. But oftentimes it doesn't stop there. Even though I think John Deere's the best tractor that's ever been made. I have a brother over here shaking his head. But does it stop there? What if I disagree, Clem, on other things? Do I say, well, he doesn't agree with tractors, so he's this he's out there in left field, I guess. Maybe I'm in left field. What does it mean there in verse 1? It says, him that is weak in the faith. What does it mean to be weak? Oftentimes I've been told or instructed that this could be youth, younger people that are not, I'll say, as wise as the older in Scripture. But is that always the truth? No, I agree, no. So what is weak this morning? If that's not the answer, what we've been told, what is weak? What's the weak in faith? Okay. I don't know who put it this way. I didn't label it here. But I wrote it down from someone else. It says, the Christian whose understanding isn't well developed and who has an oversensitive conscience. That can still be you, Bart. Or David. Or any of us, right? Some things we believe to be true because we've been taught them. And we can be very oversensitive in that area. How do we overcome that? and have a correct relationship with each other. Can we say that back in that time, Christians differed on what were the matters of 
can I say secondary importance? How is it with us today? When we think of things that are of secondary importance. We can understand and agree that Christ is our Savior and he needs to be our Savior and he needs to dwell within us and direct us. And we need to follow his direction. But what about the things of secondary importance? Can we overlook them in a brother or sister's life and still love them? Something that I thought of as I was studying for this, you know, how do we overlook things that are secondary importance in another person's life? Maybe an example would be that someone comes from a home where there's a lot of alcoholism. And this person feels that as they go through their life, they can't get anywhere close to alcohol. Not in the store, not just driving down the street. They'll go around the block to, you know, miss that area. How do I deal with that brother? Do I think he's silly for going out around the block? I just cruise right on through? Or when I'm with him, I'm sensitive to him. Sensitive to what affects him. Or do I look at him with a superior attitude? Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, it says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you, all in the bowels of Christ Je Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Verse 10, it says that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Are we sincere in our relationships with others? To be able to be without offense till Jesus returns? Because you see, if he's Lord, we'd have more of a determination, wouldn't we? To be sincere and get along with those around us. 
I think sometimes we as Christians have been deceived. And as we think of something that means a lot to us, we have strong passions about it. And as we take them strong passions, sometimes we cause more hurt than we do good for the cause of Christ. Another way to say that is strong passions will not make us complete in the will of God and sometimes do more hurt than good. Am I saying it's wrong to have strong passions? No. But sometimes those strong passions, we have to be able to see someone that's weak. And not destroy them. So how about our our relationship with the outside world, non-Christians? What does it look like in your mind as you think about that and process that right now? As Jesus is Lord in your life right now, how do you view those that are non-Christians? A person from Colorado moved to Texas and built a house with a large picture window from which he could see hundreds of miles of rangeland. The problem, he said, is there's nothing to see. About the same time, a Texan moved to Colorado and built a house with a large picture window overlooking the Rockies. The problem, he said, is I can't see anything. So how are you as a Christian this morning? Can you see what's right before you? We're thinking about non-Christians, those we work with, those we interact with all week long. Do we see them? Do we show them that Christ is my Savior and Lord? Can they see that? If we go back to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse 11, it says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. What's the first thing that pops into your mind when you read a verse like that? Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. 
Give me one word. Pops in your mind. Submission. See, for me, when I read a verse like this, the first word that pops into my mind is judgment. Not just Christians. Not just non-Christians. Not just those that want to hide, want to do their own thing. This says every. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. So if Jesus is Lord of your life, how do you see those around you that are not Christians? When you read a verse like this, does your love for Christ well up in you that you just can't contain it, that you want to speak to those around you of his goodness and his love? Can you say with me, you know, oftentimes this verse is not read in a missionary sermon, but can we agree that right here, this might be one of the greatest missionary verses for us? Thank you, Johnny. Does it convict us this morning that we as Christians are not the only ones that will be judged? But the whole world one day will bow the knee to Jesus. You see, the fact is, if we really do believe that Jesus is Lord, we'll want to express that to everyone around us. We'll want them to know the truth too, right? And yet, why is it so easy for us to just contain the truth when we come in contact with those around us? Another side note maybe about this verse is maybe we want to tell others about Christ so that they know the Lord and not just Him as a judge, right? Because if we have Him as our Savior, there's nothing for us to fear in judgment, right? So in conclusion this morning, is Jesus your Lord? Or are you denying his lordship in some way? Because you see, to reject his teaching, to disobey his commands, to complain against his will, all of this is to de deny his lordship. 
about the rest of you, but sometimes it's easy for Jerry to complain. Or maybe to boss other Christians around or to, to despise them because they aren't like me. Is that also a way to deny Jesus' lordship? And can I say, can we agree this morning that to deny him his lordship, then we as Christians walk around in some kind of dark fantasy, don't we? It's up to us. It's up to you. It's up to me each day to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of all. May God add his blessing. Majesty 185, and we'll sing one and three. Verses one and three of 185.
Good morning. Good to be with you again. Appreciated Brother Jerry's message this morning, and when Jerry and I talked about splitting the time, I said I'd go first and have an opening. He said he'd rather have, he'd rather go first and let me have the opening. So I've got three minutes to have the opening or the closing. I'm just teasing. Appreciate Brother Jerry's message and trust you did too. I have um, some thoughts which are somewhat similar this morning. If you'll turn with me uh, to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I want to read uh, from a text there. We won't read the entire chapter, but we'll read a part of it. I want to read from the first through the 21st verses of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. We're going to try to go fast this morning. We don't want to hold you too long. No, I shouldn't have said that. Whenever I say that, I go about 45 minutes. <laughs> Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye be not ye therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved or made manifest are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Therefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. This could be another message about instruction in the ways of righteousness and the behavior of what Christians are characterized by. And, and I guess in a way it is, but I'd rather call this this morning that delicious filling. Back in, uh, in Grandview where the church is, there's a, a store and they sell one product, and, it, and they sell donuts. I think it's called Daylight Donuts. I, don't, may, I may be wrong about that, but I believe that's the name of it. And, and, there, and what, what, the one product in that store that I really liked the most was called Custard-Filled Long Johns. Custard-Filled Long Johns, let me describe them to you. 
It's a sweet bread, flaky stuff that has a slathering of chocolate icing on the top. And in the center, if you would cut it open or you pull it apart, you would find it filled to the brim with custard so that when you bit into it, it would squirt out the sides and get on your hands and down your shirt. And it was the most uh, wonderful piece of pastry that you could imagine. I, I, I now think of it as diabetes-inducing three-prong attack on my cholesterol level. But, I mean, what a way to go. And every time that I ever bought one of those things, I expected that to happen. You know, you bite into this thing and you get all of those flavors and all of that sugar and all of that creamy goodness and that wonderful bread taste. Uh, and it just fulfilled expectations every time because every time it was filled with custard. And every time you could taste that icing and every time that bread just had that wonderful uh, flavor and consistency to it. That delicious filling was something that I expected every time and got it. And as I was considering this chapter in Ephesians, it was a verse uh, and a portion of a verse that particularly caught my eye, and that was the 18th verse. So as Paul goes down through this, uh, he begins this saying, Be ye therefore followers of God. He's talking about the previous chapter, chapter 4, in which he says that we are new creatures in Christ and we need to put on the new man. And, and that is evidenced by the behavior that we exhibit as believers. Okay, So we're exhibiting uh, uh, behavior as believers, which gives evidence of something else. And that's really what we want to look at because as he talks about that evidence that we show as believers in our behavior. He says, be ye therefore followers of God in the first verse as dear children and walk in love. And he goes on to describe how Christians behave themselves. And it's all good and it's all important. But he says something that is key in the 18th verse because when you get down to that, he says, and be not drunk with wine whereas in, where is excess, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I had to go back to Daylight Donuts and think of that, you know, that custard-filled Long John. And, I, and, and the question is this, friends, when the world bites into you, does it get that outpouring of the Spirit or does it come up empty? Is there nothing that they have to wipe off their shirt when they encounter you? Is there nothing they can lick off their fingers and taste that delicious infilling of the Holy Spirit? What is it? that causes Christians to behave in the ways that Paul talks about when he writes to the Ephesian brethren. We treat filling in this context as the presence and influence of the Holy Spirit, and that's all well and good. The presence and influence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we'll read some scriptures a little later that would back that up. That's all, that's, that is proper. The problem is that we limit that infilling to a temporary thing. Let me make a, another um, e example here. Welcome to the Longhorns. Can I take your order? Yes, yes, I'm ready to order. I, I'll have the two ounce porterhouse, medium well, with a hint of mashed potatoes and a whiff of gravy and a side of Brussels sprout. That is the sprout, right? Not the whole round thing, just the sprout. I want the sprout. Did you get that? I want the two ounce porterhouse, medium well, with a, a hint of mashed potatoes, a whiff of gravy, and a side of a Brussels sprout. 
and I expect to walk out of here completely full. Okay. The two. I, well, sir, we can you know we can cut the 16 ounce porterhouse for you if you'd like, and I'll uh, I'll scrape off the mashed potato spoon onto your plate. I don't think we can do the Brussels sprout. Sorry, I have like green sprouts. We put on salads. I'll give you one of those. Oh, that'll be great. That'll be great. Now, let me ask you: You expect to go out a Longhorn fulfilled with a two-ounce porterhouse, a Brussels sprout, and a whiff of potatoes? There's nothing better than going to Longhorn Steakhouse to be influenced by a juicy porterhouse, right? go in there and they set the plate in front of you and you look at it and you pick it up on your fork and you lick it and set it back down and sniff the potatoes and gravy and leave completely fulfilled. That's how we sometimes come to think of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Just something that is convenient whenever we're hungry for a little bit of spirituality. But I would submit to you that the scripture really doesn't indicate that at all, doesn't say that. Where do we get that idea? Well, I think we get that idea from several different places or passages in the scripture. But I do also believe that what Paul said to the Ephesians in the previous part of this chapter, uh, before verse 18 and even after, when he describes instructions for marriage, which we all just experienced uh, a wedding yesterday in preparation for marriage. And, and that is that when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to follow God. That's what children of light do. That's what Paul says. Be ye followers of God because you're children of light. You've put away the darkness. And you're filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit... You want to follow God. You're not following what you used to be. Your attentions, your interests have changed and turned from the things of the world. And you're not trying to impress people anymore. You're trying to glorify God. See, that's the difference. Now, the question is, are we fulfilling that aspect of our Christian walk? Do we give evidence of having been filled by the Spirit, not in a temporary way, but in a filling and full and permanent way by the Holy Spirit? Because if we are trying to impress people around us, rather than trying to glorify God, there may be a hint of a little bit of custard filling lacking. That delicious filling is not quite done. We're going to follow God. We're going, to be, we're going to behave with agape toward our fellow man. And that would include believers and unbelievers alike. When Paul talks about walking in love as Christ hath loved us and given himself for us, he agaped so much that he was willing to die on the cross for our sins. That's the glorious gospel. And we have that same opportunity to behave and believe or believe and then behave in such a way that we show love to our brothers and sisters in the faith and to those who are outside of the faith. That's what Jerry was talking about. And then we're going to avoid moral filth like it's the plague. That's also what Paul talks about in Ephesians here. 
and it is due to being filled with the Spirit. We're going to bring glory to God with our speech, the things that we say. You want to want emphasis on this? Go, go look at James and see what he says about our speech. James talks about it at length. He makes some analogies there that are pretty sharp and pretty clear about our speech. We're going to glorify God with our speech. We're going to make good use of our time for the kingdom. He says, redeem the time, Paul does in this passage in Ephesians. Redeem the time. It means make good use of the time. Those of you who are young, you got your whole lives ahead and you think that's going to be a long time. Ha, got news for you. Yeah, said the old man. Yeah, amen, says us old men. Redeem the time. You've only got so many days and you don't know how many days those are. You don't know how many hours you've got left. Redeem the time. Make good use of them. And what is good use? Good in every sense of the word. Make it glorify God. Make it, make it um, a, a beneficial to your fellow man. Bless those around you. Make good use of your time. When we think of making good use of our time, we usually think uh, in terms of the world's efficiency and so forth. You know, Make as much money as we can in as short a time as we can so that we can retire early and you know, play. That's not really what we're encouraged to do in the scriptures. And Paul certainly isn't saying that here when he says, redeem the time. He says, we've got a, a limited amount of time on this temporal earth to glorify God and bring blessing to our fellow man. Make the, make the most of it. Well, how do we do all those things? Paul gives us the key in the 18th verse. And what does he say? Again, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. When somebody bites into us, they're going to get that good filling of the Holy Spirit spilling out. And it's going to make an impression on them. And they're going to have to lick it off their fingers and wipe it off their shirt in every interaction with us, every transaction. You know, maybe we're afraid too much of the Spirit will make us crazy, do crazy things like, oh, I don't know, speak publicly about our faith, maybe. Or turn into a Pentecostal or something. God forbid. And so we, we back off of that, you know. We, we don't want to be Anabaptist Pentecostals. It don't mix very well. It's kind of like oil and water. One has to rise to the top. That would be us. Because we tend to think of this as a temporary condition, like Jesus feeding the 4,000, right? It says that when they were assembled there and, and he had talked to them and then they were hungry. And the apostles were like, whoa, what are we going to do? This mob's going to turn from you know, hungry for the word for, to hungry for fish. What are we going to do? And Jesus says, tell them to sit down. We'll feed them. And it says they were filled and they took up baskets. They were all filled. But you know what happened? They got hungry again in a few hours and they were looking for another meal. And Jesus even upbraided them. He says, you're following me because I filled your bellies. That's kind of the human condition, isn't it? We like whatever we're filled with, those delicious custard-filled long johns, but we consume them and then they get, we get hungry again. But Jesus told the woman at the well, I will draw, I will give you water and you will never thirst again. How about it? Is that true of you and I? Are we so filled with the Spirit that we never thirst again for things of the world? Does it, in fact, bring a parchedness 
to our spirit that we continue to long for spiritual infilling day after day after day such that it draws our attention and we have to refocus in order to get things done in life. It's not usually the way it is, is it? Usually the, other, the, the way it is is we're so focused on doing things that we have to be slapped by reality and things in life in order to see that we need another infilling of the Spirit again because we've already consumed that little dab that we, or we've already digested that little dab that we got on Sunday from the preacher's message. We get the idea maybe of a temporary condition like Jesus feeding the 4,000 and their metabolism goes to work on it and they were hungry again in a few hours. Or Elizabeth when greeted by an expectant Mary. It says the babe leaped in her womb and she was filled with the spirit and she testified. She praised God because this mother of her Savior was coming to her. We think of it like Acts 2 where uh, it says they were all gathered together of one accord in one place and, and, the, and, and, and the place was filled with a rushing mighty wind or the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And then it says they were all filled with the Spirit and they began to testify. They began to speak in tongues. And there, there was people who witnessed them saw, as it were, flames of fire coming up off of their heads. What, a, what, a, what an incredible thing. I don't see any flames of fire here this morning. Does that mean we're not filled with the Spirit? No, I don't think so at all. But what I do perceive is that the Holy Spirit's indwelling is not a temporary condition. It is a state of existence for the believer. John 14, chapters, or chapter 14, verses 15 and 16 said, this is Jesus. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I don't know that this is a precondition, but think of the order in which Jesus puts this down when, his, when he's teaching this. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the first, uh, first predication is that you love me. If you love me, then keep my commandments. Second thing is, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Who? Wait a minute. Let me reread that. I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That he may abide with you forever. That doesn't sound very temporary, does it? In fact, I can't think of a longer period of time than forever. Can you? That he may abide with you forever. That means that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit who will abide with us both in this temporal condition now, who will infill us now, who will guide us now, who will bless us now, who will cause us to bless others now, who will remind us of what the scripture says about us and to us and through us. He will do that now, but he will also do that forever. And we will abide with this Holy Spirit to whom we are introduced today in this life. We will abide with him forever. That's eternity. That's time without end, or if you would prefer, no time. That he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, make no mistake about who he's talking about here, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. That is a continual state of being for the believers. Not a temporary condition. It's not something that come and goes, kind of like, a, like our emotions come and go, like our feelings of spirituality come and go, but he is a continual presence who dwells with us. What an incredible filling. 
I take it over custard any day. Jesus also said, abide in me and I in you. Philippians 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. And this I pray, Paul wrote, wrote to the Philippians, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Where does knowledge and judgment come from? Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you a spirit and he will dwell with you and he shall be in you. That knowledge and judgment comes from the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. That ye may approve things that are excellent so that we can discern between good and evil. So that we can discern between things that are not so good and things that are excellent. That's what we want is things that are excellent. How many of you go to the store and for the same price you buy the crummy piece of Chinese made junk as opposed to, you know, the whatever. The best one available. Same price. We always go for the low quality, don't we? No, we don't. And that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians here, that ye may discern or approve things that are excellent, morally excellent. We want the best. When given two pieces of conversation, two sentences that we might say, one of them just mediocre, the other one excellent, which one do we want to say? When we are given two thoughts, one of them just sort of, you know, mildly okay, and the other excellent. Which one do we choose? If God gives us the opportunity for intellect, do we choose the mediocre one or do we choose the excellent one? Same price, take your pick. We always go for excellence. Why do we settle for mediocre when it comes to spiritual things? Paul says to the Philippians, go for the excellence. And that excellence is discerned by the Spirit, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Unto the glory and praise of God. That's why we have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit, because without him, we can do nothing. We can't please God. We can't praise God. We can't bless others. We can't even live a blessed life. It's all hollow if the custard's not in the donut. And we're all hollow if we don't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, Paul says in verse 18. I don't know about you, but as I grow older, I realize that so much of what I valued in life, I wasn't always going to be able to enjoy. Because as you get older, some things you just can't do anymore. But if you value the things that are excellent, which are pointed out to you by the Holy Spirit, you're going to value things like the joy of the Lord. You're going to value things like the fellowship of the saints. You're going to value things like being able to come to church to fellowship with other believers and to praise God through your mouth and through your spirit, which are Christ's. You're going to value the time that God gives you here on the earth and the experiences which he blesses you with 
in which the Holy Spirit's infilling can spill out to those around you and bless them, that they too might be filled with the Spirit of God, that they too might know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they too might be filled with the Spirit, that they too might be someone who can bless others, and ultimately, as we read in this verse, give praise and glory to God, not just in this life, but for all of eternity. And as we draw closer to eternity, we realize more and more how important it is that infilling of the Holy Spirit. That we're not doing it all on our own strength. That all of these things that Paul talks about when he says that we need to walk as children of light are actually outgrowths of that infilling of the Holy Spirit who works in our minds and in our hearts and in ways that we can't even comprehend in our spirits to bring out God in us and become children of light, walking as children of light not in darkness. I like the way that he says in, uh, that he kind of sums it up in verse 20. He's not, he's not summing up the whole thing, but he, in verse 20 he says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God and the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. How thankful are you the degree of your thankfulness, I would submit to you this morning, might just be determined by how full that cavity is in you that is a capacity to hold the Holy Spirit, which means not just his influence, but his presence on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, controlling, influencing, determining, and speaking through us to the world around us and especially to our Heavenly Father, causing us to give thanks always for all things. I'll just leave those thoughts with you this morning. May the Lord bless you in your walk with Him. And and, and realizing that all of us are in different places in our walk with Him, My encouragement this morning is, as Paul's was to the Ephesians, that you allow yourself to be filled up and recognize that that is not a temporary thing, that it isn't something done just to make you feel good for the time being or to simply equip you for a certain challenge, but it's something which is a permanent promise of the Lord Jesus Christ who points out that it's not for this life only, but it is a, the presence of the Holy Spirit with us throughout time and eternity. May God add his blessings. Does he have preeminence in every area of your life, every detail of your life? And are we truly surrendering and submitting to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to and fill us, that comes by promise, running out all over us, deliciously. I love that title, the delicious and filling of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we all stand for a prayer? Uh, Matt Wirtz, I think I'll call on you, if you would, to lead us in a closing prayer, and if you would, include a prayer for the meal also.